funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers them for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious tonight. Yes, we deserve this win, man. Fox Force 5 flying high in both Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling it's the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyree Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like, that's, that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. And like always, we got Bryant West on here. What is going on, Bryant? How you doing? Well, we just finished watching the uh, Pelicans meet the Kings 117 to 110. That game was a giant tease. Uh, I feel ashamed of myself for ever thinking that the Kings had a shot there. Um, so I'm not. I'm a little disappointed, ironically, but uh, it just means more ping pong balls, I guess. How you guys doing? Doing good. I also we also got Will Griffith on here joining us for today's episode to talk about seven straight losses now for the Kings. What's going on, Will? How are you holding up? How's it going? I unfortunately do not have any hope in my life and any portion of it. And so tonight I walked to go use the restroom in the middle of Wes Awundu shooting free throws at the end of the game and entirely forgot that it was like a four-point game or a three-point game at that point. And so uh, I came back and went, oh, that's fine. We figured they were going to lose. I will say, is there a game at all earlier in this season where they were down big and came back for a victory? I know it was always the opposite. They had the lead and blew it, but I couldn't think of a game while this New Orleans one was happening and it looked like they might pull it out that they came back from a big victory this year or a big deficit. Maybe one of the first ones against Denver, like very early in the year. Yeah, I was trying to think of that there game against to be Toronto one. that they beat Toronto. Um, I'm looking at their stuff right now. Oh. There, there aren't very many wins, so we could check through it real quick. <laughs> I think you're right about that Toronto one. Well, I mean, honestly, how how many teams in the NBA would have come back against the Pelicans, considering how absolutely god-awful New Orleans was in that second half tonight? Is it 28? I think it's 28. (laughs) I don't know if they would have came back from 26 down, though. Like, I thought Sacramento played an okay second half. It was just a god-awful second quarter. And and doing so without Rashawn Holmes too, with who went out with an injury as well. So uh, I'll give I'll give Sacramento credit in that they they actually came alive a little bit and looked like an NBA basketball team in the second half of this game. I, I think De'Aaron Fox looked like an NBA basketball team in the second half. <laughs> I mean I, I don't want to take away from because you know I even said on Twitter I'm not going to complain about effort tonight because the second half effort was great. But Kings who are not De'Aaron Fox. Four, five total threes on a team that shot 28% from three. And, like, this is one of those games where it's incredibly clear to me that the Sacramento Kings should have been focusing the entire year 
on trading away their assets, rebuilding for the future, because God knows me. De'Aaron Fox thinks he's got to jack up threes at every conceivable notion. It was, was 5 of 13 from three tonight. If that's the offense that your point guard thinks has to happen, that tells you all you need to know about your roster construction. You know, and not just not just that he was jacking threes, but he was pulling them like with 18 seconds left on the shot clock. He, like he was getting down the floor and immediately pulling with three, four, five minutes left in the game, where a little bit of patience could have done them some good. I mean, yeah, you could tell he was he was panicked. He wanted to hit that three to get him within within a bucket or so, but. Yeah, when your point guard is like, no, my teammates are not are not going to get this done. I got to get this done. Yeah, uh, Brian, to your larger point, you're absolutely right. Yeah, we should point out Fox had a phenomenal game in this one. Um, 43 points, six assists. He was, I want to say, three points off of his career high. Um, so really big game from De'Aaron Fox and. He's got something personal against the Pelicans. Maybe it's the Lonzo Ball thing. Uh, he goes crazy against this team. Uh, every single game so far this season. This did mean the Kings ended up losing the tiebreaker against the Pelicans, which could matter uh, down the line, although it's not looking like anything's going to matter down the line with the Kings right now. Um, How much of the poor shooting and lack of spacing do you guys think was because of Buddy Heald not being available? Um, You know, I think that I kind of downplayed if, if we were to move on from Buddy this deadline that I didn't think it would make the team that much worse because you have Halliburton coming in and filling those minutes. But I think there was, you know, just losing a legitimate rotation player when your rotation is only eight players, nine players deep, it makes an impact. And I think we felt that tonight. So, Brian, how much do you think this game had to do with uh, Buddy Heal not being available for the first time in a while? Well, I'm not going to say that not having a floor spacer with Buddy's gravity means nothing, but um, I feel like Tyrese Halliburton going one for five from three, and most of them seem like pretty normal shots that he would take. Um, the Kings didn't lose this game because Buddy Heald didn't play. Like Buddy Heald didn't make them. Buddy Heald not being there didn't make them shoot 59% from the free throw line. Buddy Heald didn't make them give up. Uh, 54% shooting to the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that Buddy Hill could have made some impact to this game, but I, I don't know. I don't want to let that be a crutch to this. Yeah, I think I think Buddy losing or uh, being lost to his first game in three years or something like that. Like that's, I mean, that that's a minimal amount of it. Like uh, maybe the Kings don't uh, don't go down by. You know, 23 in the first half, but uh, I doubt they they uh, I doubt that the overall impact of that game, you know, especially with on the defensive end of things, it, it matters in the long in the long run. He's given up as many points as he's getting as as a defender, so yeah, I think it evens out pretty much. Yeah, I think the real issue. Um, well, we should point out the free throws. The free throws. You know, they left 15 points at the line tonight. The Kings did 22 of 37, which is 8 of 15 from Fox. Mo Harkless missed two. Chemezi Metu is 3 of 6. Um, but it's mainly that that Fox number, you know, missing uh, 7 of his own right there. Pretty impactful. That's the difference in the score right there. Um, I was going to say about the healed situation that, you know, maybe 
it would hurt to not get your five-man lineup that's been great recently out there. But apparently they're not going to start together anyways. I don't think we've talked about this yet because <laughs> it first happened in the Utah game. Did we? Maybe we did talk about it, but I want to hear your yeah. thoughts on this, Will. Talk to me about Mo Harkless getting inserted into the starting lineup for Halliburton. I mean, uh, it's stupid. It's the 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 act of a a desperate coach hoping that his job can somehow be saved by shaking something up. I think it's a little bit of coddling to Buddy Heald to make sure that uh, you know. Obviously, there was reports earlier in the season that Buddy Heald's shooting woes were somewhat tied to. He was looking over his shoulder, afraid that Tyrese Halliburton was coming for his minutes. And then just today we had Sam Hammett come out with an article that said Buddy didn't believe that Halliburton was okay sitting on the bench. That so was that, so funny. That was, that <laughs> was, was so funny. That was incredibly uh, – yeah, sure, funny is the word. But, like, when you zoom in a little bit closer, it's like, are you joking, man? Like, are you joking? And I love that Amy had a follow-up question that. about it, too. Yeah. I love that Tyrese shared that because yes. – I mean, nobody with Tyrese's media savvy doesn't know what telling Sam Amick that Buddy questioned, you can't really be okay being coming off the bench, are you? Like, Hallie knew what he was saying there. Yes, absolutely. So I, I, th- I think this is uh, I think this is Luke Walton knowing that the, the easiest move is to go to the young kid who isn't going to complain by coming off the bench, making the excuse that, oh, well, he has success running the second team. And and uh, still trying to find a way to to you know pull the the e break on this on this season slide and get it back around. I I have no opinion of Mo Harkless. He is a uh, uh, he is a professional basketball player. He plays professional basketball and sometimes <laughs> does professional basketball things. Tonight he had five assists. That's a professional basketball thing. Outside of that, he is he is lukewarm water being drank, drank on like a 72-degree day. I have no opinion of it whatsoever. Mo Harkless is a replacement-level player in every conceivable word. And, I mean, that's not really that much of a criticism considering that there's only 325 men in this league, I think. But, like, Mo Harkless isn't a dude that you should be starting when your team is – very much uh, on the outs of the play-in tournament and just needs to start playing Robert Woodard instead. Yeah. I mean, I understand that they that they traded for a couple of guards, you know, in their value buyer situation there at the deadline, and and maybe they don't know the uh, the playbook as well as they should, but that's okay. Just simplify it for the bench. Then they're they're giving your your guys breather minutes, and then bring them in when you need to with four guys that that do know the the, the playbook. And and just kind of cut your losses there, but yeah, sending sending Halliburton to the bench just ends up causing greater issues than if you had just sat with the same lineup as you were and hoped that that bench that's been terrible all season was as terrible or just a little bit better than what they've been. Yeah, you know, I I, I want to talk about um, when this team is going to make a commitment to the youth because if a seven game losing streak doesn't do it, I don't know when it's going to happen. I know there's a balancing act to Luke Walton's job right now. And as much as the three of us and many fans will want to see some kind of commitment to the younger players, Luke Walton is still trying to coach this team with the playing goal in mind. Um, And we've clearly seen that Luke ain't a dude who shuffles his overall rotation on a game-to-game basis unless it's to bench one of your franchise pillars. It's pretty much been the only lineup move he's made until today when he played Damian Jones 
Um, I mean, in the nine games before this one, since the trade deadline, he'd had a pretty rigid nine-man rotation, which was Fox, Hield, Barnes, Holmes, Halliburton, Mo Harkless, DeLon Wright, Terrence Davis, and then one of Shemezi Metu and Hassan Whiteside. And, the, I mean, the only game-to-game game variation has been which one of Metu or Whiteside gets the back of center minutes. So Walton is still very much integrating the players that he got at the trade deadline into this team as if that's going to get this team into the play-in. But as these losses keep coming, like, we just got to hope that the team's desire to try out the young guys wins them some extended run, right? If a seven-game losing streak doesn't do it, when is it going to be? Is it going to have to be you, uh, mathematically removed from the play-in? Right. And at the current point, right after this New Orleans loss, they are three and a half games out of the 10th seed. Um, so I guess still within reach. But what is a youth or committing to the youth look like to you, Brian? You know, which players do you think are getting too much run right now? And which which guys would you rather see playing in their place? Because, you know, and, you know they are playing, I don't know, they're giving heavy minutes to some young guys. Yeah, they're giving heavy minutes to the guys they can't bench. <laughs> like, Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton are your first and third best players. Like, you can't bench them. Um, first off, don't ever play Hassan Whiteside over Damian Jones again. Full stop. Um, I, you know, my answer to this question all season has been, I don't necessarily need to see Robert Woodard come in and play 30 minutes. I just want to see Robert Woodard get 10 minutes. I just want to see him be a dude that Luke Walton purposely puts in in a meaningful game and gives him 10, 12 minutes for a couple of games in a row. And if you're losing games and you're further out of the play, and give him more minutes than that. But like it, it, Luke Walton is very much a rigid lineup coach. He didn't even change the the lineup when they were down 26 in the second quarter. He just kept sticking with that nine-man rotation, which, to be fair, they came back in the second half. So it's kind of a lost critique on me. But, like, there's got to be some point. Why haven't you given – Robert Woodard's got seven total minutes in the last nine games. Seven of those have been losses. You can't tell me that there aren't some minutes there for for Woodard or for Jemias Ramsey or for Justin James. Like, I know he's very much still stuck on integrating these these guys he acquired at the trade deadline. But, I mean, are, do we think Mo Harkless is here next year? No. Harkless is the one I definitely look at as, like, the clear just minutes to get rid of. Um, where Where are you at with this embracing the youth idea, Will? They're not going to do it. They're, they're not going to do it. There's there's no incentive for them to do it until the last four or five games of the year anyways now. At this point, you've committed to Harrison Barnes being on the team through at least the start of next season or the trade deadline of next season. You um, you you have Buddy Heald there who you really want to uh, make sure has a good second half of his season so that you can trade him away you know, prior to the draft in order to open up space for uh, – for uh, for Rashawn Holmes signing a new contract, I think he you know he he said that uh, we want to um, establish a culture of winning where winning is expected, and that to me is is just as plain as you can say it as a general manager saying no we're going to play the veterans the rest of this season 
as a way of either building their value coming into the offseason or as a way of, you know, signaling that the, that they don't think those young guys are ready for, for even 15, 20 minutes a time. And and I think that this is a way of, of allowing Luke Walton every possible excuse that when the offseason comes and you, you go to fire him or you have your – your discussion on whether you're bringing him back for next year, he can't say, "Well, you you told me to play the youth in the last 19 games of the season. I would have, I could have turned that around." They're going to have him. You're giving him all the rope in the world to the end of the season when he's choking on it. They can say, "Well, you hung yourself. You you asked for us to play, you know, for the playing game. We did that, and that goes for the ownership. That goes for a guy who might not be seeing a, an NBA head coaching job ever in his life." And so I, I think that you're just they're just using this season as the evaluation season, as the try to bring those assets up a little bit that have kind of tanked themselves this season. And I, I do not expect to see Woodard for more than a barring, barring injury for more than 10 minutes in a game until the last three, four games of the season. Yeah, Woodard's just the one I want. Just give Woodard all the heartless minutes. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, definitely when we had the Harkless talk at the beginning, I was like, you know, he is a replaceable guy, but he's a replaceable six, seven, six, eight guy, and that's a little more valuable. And then I was like, well, I guess Robert Woodard is literally that guy on the bench, maybe a little <laughs> bit shorter. But I, I don't understand how uh, Monty McNair would would cut somebody like DeQuan Jeffries, who you had locked in for another season, if you, if you weren't trying to do that. If you were if you were going to play the youth at any point this season, knowing you had DeQuan Jeffries signed for another year, you would have held him even for the last ten games of the season. You'd have just kept him. You could you could cut Hassan Whiteside and end up bringing uh, a Jones in using using a Hassan Whiteside cut. He's 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 going to allow Vivek to see. He's going to allow uh, Luke Walton every possible opportunity to screw this up. And thankfully, to some degree, they're succeeding. You know the Kings aren't, are they're floundering a bit, and I and I'm a little less worried now that Luke Walton gets another season in Sacramento. I do want to talk about Dequan Jeffries because we yeah. didn't mention him in the last podcast. Um, before I go on my rant, let me start with a question: What is Dequan Jeffries' realistic ceiling at the NBA level to you guys? A defensive focus. You know, I, I wish he had more size to him for me to fully say comfortably that he's a three, but it's more of a two-three probably um, that is really quick laterally and explosive enough on offense that he's a threat as a cutter, and then hopefully there's a three-point shot. But it's just – ceiling is just a pretty much a three and D, if you want to put it as simple as possible, role player, mm-hmm. like the eighth guy on a team. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's that guy that uh, I think eighth is good, seventh is would be his utmost ceiling. He's a guy that can play small ball three. You know, he could have replaced Buddy Heald as the small forward in those lineups coming off the bench as, okay, Buddy goes out because he can't play D. We need somebody who can lock down for five, ten minutes. He can get boards. He's he's long. He's springy. He's just kind of the defensive version off the bench of a Buddy Heald. I mean, just a, a small ball three guy. Um Obviously not, obviously not irreplaceable. Is somebody you'll be able to find elsewhere, but it's frustrating that you have two two seasons of him uh, after an impressive bubble performance, and then you get absolutely nothing out of it because of the injury to the start, and then using him sparingly throughout the season when he is uninjured. He just yeah. signed a deal. He just signed a two-year, three million dollar deal. Yeah, you know what's funny is I had eight 
man written down on my notes. So we're all clearly in agreement that Daquan Jeffries, like it's not a franchise altering move to let him go or anything. Um, I've been the captain of the Daquan bandwagon since the, the bubble last year. I made a ton of jokes on Twitter about giving him all the minutes. So I'm risking being slightly hyperbolic and overrating his actual value going forward, but I just do not understand letting Daquan go full stop. Um, it just doesn't make sense, especially since I don't really feel like he got an extended chance with the team this year. Um, he came back from his ankle injury in mid-February, and he played 10 games that month, uh, averaged 17 and a half minutes per game in February, and shot just 42% for the field, so it's not like he was lighting him on fire. I'm not going to like hyper-criticize Luke Walton for not playing him more than that. But when March came around and his minutes vanished and the trade deadline happened, he tumbled down the lineup, you know, it, it was clear that Daquan wasn't going to get a chance this year. So some people I, uh, came up with the idea that well, maybe he asked out, maybe he want to go find someone that would give him minutes and it became him go because they were doing a player a favor, a guy they knew they weren't going to keep long term. All right, fine. I understand that. Good on them for doing that. But like Will talked about, his salary for next year wasn't guaranteed. My roster goal would always be to develop as many wings as my roster could handle. So, like, if the Kings decided they needed to cut him to go get Damian Jones, the positional part of this annoys me. Don't go cut a developmental wing. Go cut one of Hassan Whiteside, Matu, or Chris Silva if you need bench big depth. I wish they'd kept Daquan and given him more minutes in the youth movement this year or at least had him for next year's training camp so whoever the future coach is had another young wing to try out. It's just really odd priorities I do not understand from a team building exercise, even if you think that he couldn't have earned any minutes this year. If I can use a little bit of a long-winded metaphor, um, uh, only because, Brian, you you mentioned that it's not a a franchise-defining move. Uh, you're right in that regard, but I worked I worked for uh, as an administrator for uh, a company that uh, shelled out uniforms. It was a federal contractor, and these people needed to be in uniforms. And the company bought the shirts and the badges and the hats and the and the boots and everything else. You didn't have to buy anything yourself. The company did it. And and those shirts ripped a lot, and those boots tore after a week of walking in them and stuff like that. And for a lot of the guys that came in and did security for that company, it was like, that's not the biggest deal that my shirt ripped. Okay, shirts rip all the time. But when the shirts keep ripping, it's indicative of the company that, you, that you're a part of. And I think that you see little moves like this throughout general managers, throughout different coaches and stuff like that, just boneheaded, not necessarily boneheaded, but confusing moves as to why, why, why is this happening? Like, if you're a good company, why is the shirt ripping all the time? How come three pairs of boots have blown out in a month? One time's an accident, three times is starting to be a habit, and I think you're kind of cheap. And I see that with the Kings and Daquan, that Daquan is just a, a broken badge, or he's a torn uniform, or he's a blown-out boot. But the, it's it's stacking up over other things that have mm-hmm. happened over the years that it's just like, God, this company's cheap. Yeah. All the like, purple jerseys are ripping. The gold ones would never. Exactly. Gold jerseys are very strong. Yeah. Well, just like you said, it's a move on the margins. It's very odd for a young developing team to do. And this is a – when you're a small market team like the Sacramento Kings, you can't be making bad moves on the margin. You just don't have that margin of error. Anyway. I think there's about four guys – that I could have picked that I would have rather cut to Nicole Jeffries. Yeah, exactly. 
I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'll never understand it. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense. Um, there was that Tyrese Halliburton reporting that came out today with Sam Amick. Will mentioned it earlier. Um, outside of, you know, the, the little mention from Buddy, what were kind of the things that stood out to you guys when, when reading this Halliburton interview? We'll start with uh, Bryant. Is there anything that stood out to you, man? Uh, it did stick out to me how vehemently uh, Tyrese said that, no, we weren't trying to angle ourselves to Sacramento, which was such a um, a well-known, well-discussed, I wrote about it at the, tra- at, at the on the draft day, um, such a storyline that was so well-defined, like, oh, my gosh, like, I wanted a gun here. Tyrese made it very clear, like, no, why would I do that? I'm happy to be in Sacramento, but – I thought I could go to one of any of the five teams in Sacramento was my floor. So, you know, um, I, I, I'd use that as a, as a um, Monty helped angle Tyrese to Sacramento as kind of the one thing I definitely was going to praise Monty McNair for this uh, season. So uh, if that's a no-go, that's kind of a little disappointing to me as somebody who loves basketball narratives. Um, but, I mean, I don't know what else I would have expected Tyrese to say when asked that question full stop. No, my agent angled me to land in Sacramento. And so I thought that was interesting. What about you, Will? Uh, this is this is more of a uh, – not necessarily directly related to the interview, but uh, I couldn't help but think how, like, how – silly Phoenix must feel right now. I mean, I'm sure Jalen Smith is going to end up, I hope all the best things for Jalen Smith in the world. But <laughs> imagine imagine having Tyrese Halliburton coming off the bench with CP3 uh, under his tutelage. Like, I know there's a lot of CP3 comps to Tyrese Halliburton right now, and I think that's a little overblown. Maybe I am a little lower on Tyrese Halliburton, I guess, in our in our group than, than most. But, like, I, I like Tyrese Halliburton. and uh, But he's he's not Jalen Smith. And, yeah. and Phoenix, for as great as they are, they could have been much better right away having Tyrese Halliburton run their second unit. And so the whole the whole interview for me is is just a, is just an is just an advertisement for how intelligent he is. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing to me that Phoenix managed to pass on both of our guards of the future. Yes. Also passed on Luca. And still have one of the most promising <laughs> up and coming teams of the decade. So weird. Will weirdly. I? I told you when we got on here that we always end up mentioning certain guys. I said Tyrese Maxey always gets mentioned. Yes. But it's one of Tyrese Maxey or Mikhail Bridges, and that was that was close <laughs> enough. That was close enough. I didn't say it. I didn't uh, say it. Uh, I was gonna. I was gonna remark. So we're the Phoenix Suns' Portland Trailblazers. That the Trailblazers okay. cleaned up with their guards because we couldn't pick, we couldn't pick up Damian Miller to CJ. <laughs> Rob and and Ben McElmore were so damn enticing, but yeah. In this scenario, though, Phoenix was still successful, and the Kings are still very much the Kings. Yeah, Phoenix did do Sacramento a favor though, like you said, with passing on or taking Jalen Smith. That was the outlier pick on draft night for sure. I, I know we did a bunch of prep before, and it was like, okay, well, it seems like there's 11 guys in this tier, and Sacramento's just right outside of it. And it just took one person to jump or one team to be crazy, I guess. There's probably three, four guys that they would probably rather have than Jalen Smith right now. Jalen Smith was playing 10 minutes next to Jemias Ramsey in the bubble. 
Um, so <laughs> it was definitely an interesting situation there. Um, one one thing that I've been really trying to rethink with Halliburton is what his ceiling is because, uh, and I talked about it previously here, that I think I maybe have it too much in my mind that he's this low ceiling player because that was the label that I had on him coming out of college. But he's done so many things that I never expected him to do with his off-the-dribble shooting and creation that we've touched on a bunch that I'm starting to rethink what his ceiling actually should be. And it was just refreshing to hear him say that he wants to be a Hall of Fame level player. You know, I think that that's a little obvious thing, but it's just awesome to hear that. Um, and, yeah, goes along with me really rethinking Halliburton. Can he be that number two rather than do we need to go out and get a number two and he's a number three? Um, but, yeah, great to hear him have big aspirations, obviously. I think it's a I think it's a fine line, uh, bet- but a very distinguished line as well between that and a Marvin Bagley, who has written here <laughs> predicted that he'd be MVP. Like I, I when I hear Tyrese say. say it, I bo- I believe it because he's working his ass off. You can see that he's he's treating things um, with a certain humble humble stature to it. Like he's he he knows that there's a grind ahead of him to get to that point. He knows even that it's okay that he comes off the bench as rookie year. And it seems like he's ready to earn it, where Marvin Bagley felt very much like he was just waiting to be given that crown. And it, you're right in that regard that it is refreshing for them. Yeah, it absolutely is. Tyrese Halliburton is a gem both on and off the court and has been one of the bright spots that is really – like even the night he was 5 of 10 and missed all but one of his threes. So I wouldn't even say tonight was uh, an amazing game. But he's still – He's one of the few bright spots making me keep watching this team. Otherwise, I think I'd just be taking summer walks all evening like Will keeps telling me to do in his previews. I'm looking out for your mental health, man. That's all I'm doing. (laughs) I appreciate that. The season's winding down at this point. Um, There is still a few games against Minnesota, Memphis, Memphis. OKC, sad to say that the OKC games are going to matter at a late point in the year. Um, They do play Golden State, Dallas, so it's not impossible, um, but I I would say I'm at the point where I'm very confidently betting against them making that play-in spot after the seven-game losing streak, and I actually felt decent about it uh, on the winning streak before, obviously. Um, at, At this point, we'll just throw a percentage on it, guys. What chance do you think Sacramento has of making this play in? And I'll start, again, three and a half games out of the 10th seed. I want to say we have roughly 20 games left in the year. We got 18 games left. 18. Um, To make up a three and a half difference, I'm saying they got like 15% chance. I I will say, I'd say, and this is who I am as the bummer of this group, but I'd say it's about a 5% chance. If they turn it on now, if they come out – you know, on on Thursday and play well, then you can bump that up to ten. But otherwise, I think they're I think they're pretty much done. Just looking at the at the rest of the games, I mean, half of these are against teams that Sacramento could beat: Minnesota, Golden State, uh, Oklahoma City. Three games against them, Memphis. But I mean, they got to play Phoenix. They got to play Dallas twice. They got to play the Lakers presumably when they got full health back. They gotta play Utah twice. They got to play Indiana. I don't know, I'm going with 15%. And even then, even saying that, that's just me giving a mathematical 
uncertainty. I am not going to believe in this team. I'm going to remove playing from my diction at this point. Lucy is not going to make me try to kick that football again. It's just not happening. Yeah. Um, I'm obviously right there with you guys. And I think that, you know, when the defense is the worst in the league and worst of all time statistically, um, sometimes shots aren't going to fall on offense and things aren't going to go your way on the offensive end of the floor. I think defensively is where you can bring consistency on a night-to-night basis, and they're consistently horrible on that end and leave very little margin for error on the offensive end of the floor, and I think that was one of those nights, and that's just going to happen sometimes. Um, yeah, I'm going to see more of them to close out this year, and hopefully more minutes to these young guys. Um I do feel like we need to talk about some draft crushes a little bit here to close this off. Will, have you, <laughs> have you publicly shared your draft crush? I'm pretty sure you have, right? I mean, I, mean I, about this. I shared my draft crush one game into his college season. I mean, and 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 I got I, yeah. I got into an argument. <laughs> I had to get into an argument in the comments before I'd seen this guy play more than a couple of games. But I'm, I mean, and 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 I haven't stopped arguing since. Um, it, it, again, this is all depending on where the Kings land. Obviously, if they jump into the top four, top five, I don't want this person. But if the Kings stayed at ten, you know, nine, you know, nine, eight, somewhere in there, then I'd be fine with it. But right now, obviously, it's uh, Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes is a guy who's who's got heart. He's a guy that's uh, he seems like a natural floor leader with a with a lot of Rashawn Holmes like energy to him. Um, he's been compared to Draymond Green, which is. Uh, dicey at best. Um, he's a Bo Harkless. He's a Bo Harkless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I want from my my seventh pick in the draft is Mo Harkless. No, um, but yeah, he's a he's a big guy who can uh, who who played out of position but can handle the ball. Who's a fantastic passer for his size. Who is a a guy who steps up to to play defense every single night. Uh, now, whether he ends up being a fantastic defender or just a fairly good one. Uh, that's stuff that I I haven't watched enough yet to know or to make a prediction on, but early early on my uh, my 2021 Pokushevsky of the Year award goes to uh, Scotty Barnes. <laughs> well, speaking of draft crushes, you you have an amazing uh, record right now, don't you? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that Poku um, award means something right now. Now he's yeah, playing. it really does. Yeah, although. Uh, I mean, um, I was about to make a, a our we the three of us are in a uh, dynasty league, and uh, Will was one excellent Poku week away from having the number one pick in next year's draft. So uh, Pokushevsky might have cost you Cade Cunningham. I don't know if he still loves it. Poku at this point. I still love my son, regardless of the mistakes he might make <laughs> and the damage he does to the long-term future yeah. of my fantasy team. Tyrese Halver might be costing the Kings Cade Cunningham. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Well, to loop back on Scotty Barnes, um, I've got Scotty number seven on my big board right now um, outside of the top five of prospects. I think the only dude I for sure like more than Scotty is Moses Moody. Um, and that's weird to say because every time I watch Scotty Barnes, it's we've talked about it all year, it's so much of a uh, give and take. On one hand, he's an excellent defensive prospect something this team really, really needs. On the other hand, uh, I know that he's going to be a very contentious selection because he's not a great shooter. Who knows what he's going to do on offense? He's 
very much used to a role in college that gives him a lot more ball control, then I think it's going to be valuable for him to have the next level. Um, but, I mean, you can never have too many playmakers on the court. And Lord knows the Kings need uh, a defensive difference maker, um, especially one with Barnes's uh, physical I mean, 6'9", 230 pounds, something like that handled guards at the collegiate level on a regular basis. Um, so I, I, I definitely uh, think Will picked a, a good draft crush out really early. And uh, to all those people that uh, doubted uh, Will in the, in the Kings Herald comments early in the season, I mean, <laughs> they're going to be turning around on that pick pretty quick if the Kings take Scotty Barnes. Because he's going to be a good dude that even if you stare at him and you're like, well, he didn't shoot well tonight he's going to absolutely make a difference on defense. And I hope that's contagious if the Kings take him because Lord knows they need somebody like him. I will also preface that he he's somebody that you if you're in the mode to win now, if you're like, hey, the Kings need to get a guy who can contribute right away so that they can make a run for the eighth seed next year, he's not the guy. He, he I don't think he's ready for 30 minutes a night starting uh, for at least two or three seasons. I think it's going to take him some time to to uh, to adjust. It's going to take him some time to learn how to shoot. He's not a Michael Kidd Gilchrist in that his shot is so damn broken that it will that it can't get fixed. It just doesn't fall in the same way that, I know I haven't looked back on his high school stuff, but like De'Aaron Fox in college, it was like his form is fairly good. He just didn't hit it in his one season. Um, now, so if you're looking for a win-now guy, Scotty Barnes is going to be a, a, a win-three-years-from-now guy. Like he takes an eighth seed that the Kings pull themselves with him on – you know, playing spot minutes on the bench, and when he's ready to start in two years, then he pushes them to a four or a three or a two, depending on how he sets the culture on defense and depending on how well he can adjust to shooting in the NBA game. But I like Moses Moody too. He's he's on he's on my list as well. It's just in terms of impact, the Kings don't need another high level score. I guess, uh, or I, I guess I say I would prefer to have one really good defensive prospect yeah. over another guy who's a shooter scorer who could be an okay defender but isn't hasn't proven that yet. Yeah. Let's not put uh Kings need to win now into the draft vernacular or they're gonna be drafting Corey Kispert and I'm gonna tear my freaking hair oh, out. You're gonna you're gonna convince people to, to go after Franz Wagner uh, Wagner. I'm ready. I and this I, was my crush. I was no. getting to this. Brendan, I will I'm, I'm gonna you pop mean? your head off of your neck. What will I, uh, why? Uh, <laughs> wow, I thought we were all about to be on the same page here. I was so close to mentioning I'll, him. I will I'm gonna mute my microphone, please go ahead while I scream in the background. Wow. <laughs> wow. I cannot Franz believe Wagner's it. Franz Wagner's a fine defender. Franz Wagner's an underrated He's defender. younger than Scotty Barnes, by the way. Younger than Scotty Barnes, a year more in college. Yeah. I, 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 he's probably a better good. shooter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Do you remember when a, wow. when a microphone of the Sacramento Kings said that? <laughs> so why do you not like Franz, though? So he's I, I see him as just a super high IQ guy that, you know, does a little bit of everything at six foot eight and is a really promising off-ball defender. I see him as like a Halliburton at six eight with less offense. Yeah, I don't. I don't think his. I mean, I can't. I can't say anything about his shooting because my draft crush is Scotty Barnes. Like I'm backed into a corner. <laughs> I don't really like his shooting that much, but um, I don't know. I just he seems he seems um, he seems like milk to me, and uh, I need a little Mentos in my Coke. You know, 
Yeah. And, and and that's okay. I mean, I just I just don't see him as anything more than um I don't know, like a poor man's Joe Harris, eighth man off the bench, like like a def- more defendy, less shooty Joe Harris, which isn't bad for a team like the Brooklyn Nets. I believe you. But, I believe but, you. But I'm just, I'm just, I'm just not there yet. <laughs> I will watch more on him, Brendan. I'll go back. You and, and your Michael, Michael Kidd Gilchrist crush over here. I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, wow. Brendan, I don't want to trash this because Lord knows I got Franz Wagner in my top ten. But I will say, in the tournament, he shot two of sixteen from three. So the shooting concerns they exist. Yeah, he's, he's the younger Bagley of Moritz. Of oh Moritz God, no! Wagner. And so, <laughs> so, and I don't have much on on Moritz, so um, I, I'll go back and take a look. We'll we'll put a pin on him. I, I'm just not ready to say that he's uh he's anything other than trash. I think <laughs> I do think those guys are probably my six, seven, eight for the Kings. Is those three guys though? So. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's I think true. I got Zaire Williams still in there. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. I'll, I'll accept everything. It's very, very early on right now, and I still have a lot of stuff to go over. <laughs> there's, there's a couple of Euro guys that I want to. Not like. Josh Giddy. Not Josh Giddy. Oh, you know, what? Tim. Tim's got me. Tim's got Josh Giddy on my radar now. Where I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll take a look at this man. Yeah. Uh, Brian, where are you at with the uh, Davion it's Mitchell? It's time to watch hype? Josh Giddy. Oh goodness. I'm. <laughs> You know, lottery hype. This is incredibly, this is incredibly weird. This happens every year. It seems like some dude in the tournament uh, just gets on some crazy run, and I feel bad because like smart people now have him in the lottery, and I'm just like, all right, if you fully believe that his shooting is real, that he's going to keep shooting above forty percent from three, then all right, he's some level of where. Uh, Tyrese Maxey could end up like he's that same kind of player. There it is. He's shooting. There it is. <laughs> he's shooting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now it's gonna be a challenge for me from now on. Not to mention those two. Um, he's shooting sixty-four percent from the free throw line this season. He, he he's not a guarantee to shoot at the next level. He's gonna have value. Like he might be in my top twenty. I'm not going to put him anywhere close to the Kings. I'm just not. Yeah. Can I can I uh, put a hot take in here just in case this happens on NBA draft night? Yeah, let's uh-huh. do it. I think Jonathan Kaminga drops out of the top seven. Seven? Interesting. Yeah. I, I think Keon Johnson gets picked before him, and I think I don't think it'll be Kispert, but uh, what's the other guy? Uh, Kai Jones. I think somebody's going to grab Kai Jones beforehand. I think there will be teams that think that uh, he's going to take too long to develop. I think he wasn't quite uh, as re- NBA ready as what you what you think in the in the bubble. And so my my my, if somebody's going to drop, it's going to be Kuminga. Yeah, I think if somebody, I'm yeah. with you that it would you know, be Kuminga. I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. That'll be my that'll be my. Um, it, it, it would he will, or he will drop. We'll be a, I'll be a little bit more controversial and say I think he's going to drop. I think he's going to drop at least a couple of spots. Force his way to Sacramento. Of yeah, course. there you go. He's yeah. gonna have a couple of bad workouts. He's gonna clank a <laughs> and bunch. You know of what? Guys. Right. And then the Kings are gonna trade. Uh, but that's fine with me. Another Jonathan Kaminga can be the. And we're gonna get Scotty yeah. Barnes with that pick. Jonathan Kaminga can be the uh, the dude that we always wanted Marvin Bagley to turn into. 
Yeah. An MVP Fine level player that makes us forget about <laughs> Luka Doncic. <laughs> okay, maybe not that, but the go. realistic, the realistic goal that uh, some of us had. What did Will say at the beginning of the season for uh, Martin Bagley that I gave him so much shit for? 14 points, 7 assists, I mean, 7 rebounds, 30%. Oh, I, I was within 2.2 rebounds away or <laughs> 0.2 points away from accurately predicting exactly his stat line. You <laughs> sicked the dogs on me. <laughs> I did. Uh, I will never doubt your prognostications. I'm, I'm sneaky psychic, if you guys if you guys haven't realized. I'm I'm quietly... I'm quietly pulling truths from the universe out of thin air. I'm ready for Kuminga. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get to that. Yeah, we're going to look back. Yeah. Yeah. You remember? You remember after that Pelicans game where Will said uh, Kuminga was going to follow the Kings in the mid in the mid uh, lotto. Yeah, man. Right here, man. into the schedule. These seven straight losses is pretty depressing. It is rough. And then they got Washington next. Which you want to have hope going into that, but you just don't. Uh, they just beat Utah. Washington did tonight. Oh my goodness! Um, <laughs> so that's that's certainly something we saw. The Utah game wasn't horrible, I guess, from Sacramento's point of view. But yeah, you know they probably go on a nice little winning streak or mini, you know, five of seven sort of thing to give people hope again. Um, but no, yeah, just remember, Lucy's gonna pull the football. Even if the Kings win two or three games against teams that they shouldn't, just remember that. Yes, and uh, I, I know five games in a row looks really good, zoomed in and in the micro, especially when De'Aaron Fox is going for 30 a night. But over the course of 14 seasons, five wins is not that impressive. And keeping your head on, and uh, more importantly, just not talking too much shit to the people that are like, yeah, <laughs> impressive. I think that De'Aaron Fox is playing out of his mind. And I think there's going to be a tapering down a little bit. And when they do, those games are going to end up being a couple of losses. Just not telling that person that they're the dumbest person in the world and that they need to go find a rope and a tree. Like, like guys, it, it's the Kings. It's the Kings. They're they're going to find a way to pull pull the pull the chair out from under your swinging body. Like, just chill for a second. There is no more perfect encapsulation of both the Kings' season and Kang's Twitter as a whole than everybody yelling at Will for saying he doubted this team and then them losing seven straight games. <laughs> There's just it's the perfect, the perfect storyline. And I wasn't, I was just, I was trying to, I woke up that morning, I rolled over and I was, yeah. I, I was thinking about, I saw somebody talk crap about you know, the Kings Herald writers and they're, and they're, uh, you know, they're all the same and they're all, you know, trying to push a narrative. I have not agreed with any of you at any point over anything completely, <laughs> and 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 yet I saw I just I thought you know what I'm just gonna type something out real quick that says hey don't don't shame them you know it, it's good that they're winning but you don't have to shame the people that are still a little hesitant you know a a a beat dog's gonna holler and and all I was saying was like don't if if the dog's yipping just be a little careful okay that that person who thinks oh, I'm not quite I'm not quite sure of this team they have a, a legitimate case. And I did not expect to get onto two radio shows over it and a bunch of people arguing with it and having – I had to have Carmichael Dave come to my rescue. I had Damian Barling questioning me for a second. And I love Damian, and, 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 and Carmichael Dave is, is, is good too. I mean, but it's more like, what did I do? I, I, right. oh, I did. Oh, I did say, hey, guys, it's okay to have a difference in opinions here. And it 
Oh man, it's not. It's not. Your take was super nice compared to like <laughs> what gets me is that people are like acting like that was some nuclear hot take <laughs> when you write eight to ten things in every game preview that are way more hot than that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, if that's what gets people going on Twitter, if they read any one of your previews, their face would melt off. The difference is nobody reads the previews. I've got I've got my core ten people and Brian. <laughs> I got my my core ten guys who I love and respect immensely for always commenting and having wonderful little discussions and making great little jokes. And outside of that, outside of that, it's Bryant hyping me up on Twitter. And so all they hear is me going, hey, guys, let's just be nice to everybody. What did you just say to me? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> but I will, I will say that uh, as much as I love the Kings and as much as I do actually root for them to win these games, um, uh, like seven losses in a row just makes me go like, oh, okay, I kind of said, you know. It's vindication for all the other people in the world, like a like a like a camera Marty, who Marty who who is very much pro tank, even maybe a little more so than I am, which is hard. Who um who has had to take hits all season, and who's just kind of shrugged after every single time the Kings have just went right back the other direction. So good good for everybody, but uh, I I wish everyone could see um a collection of tweets from all of us at the same time. I like I wish you had a Kings. Harold, like, Twitter tracker on, like, our opinions on stuff. Because none of us would match up on anything. Maybe maybe Scotty Barnes other than Kevin. Like, like we are – I hate uh, – Cade Cunningham. And your – yeah, Cade Cunningham, yeah. But I don't like most of your takes. Yeah, Marvin Bagley, we might we might all be pretty close uh, on yeah, Marvin Bagley yeah, at this probably, point. Probably <laughs> at this point, yeah. yeah. But, yes, yes. There's definitely been some uh, heated arguments over some disagreements. Yeah, yeah. Oh, healthy, gonna, healthy arguments. I, I was called uh, triggered by somebody, <laughs> and and one, thank you for telling me where you are on the political spectrum. Yeah. But also, like on top of that, like like I, I've wanted the Kings to do so many things over the years. There are so many times I'm like, please God, don't do this, and then they did it, and my reaction just been like. Well, we'll see how it goes next season. That that for this one single five game winning streak to be the final breaking point for me. To that be, was it. I'm going yeah. atomic. <laughs> this is it, baby. Like I, I'm sorry. Like I'm still gonna be sitting here when they draft Corey Kisper and being like, well, that's my last done. But <laughs> with Kuminga on the uh, table, here here comes, young, <laughs> here comes Nick Stauskas 2.0. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put that nightmare out in the ether. It's going to happen now. Okay, final point here. If Jerry Reynolds can sit and listen to Will Griffith, all of Will Griffith's (laughs) takes on the podcast, there's nobody on Twitter that can't at least just be like, all right, Will is entitled to his opinion. (laughs) No, I have to die. The quickest... Quickest way to get muted by me is just to tell me that the King's Herald is a hive mind. Like we don't spend half of our days yelling at each other <laughs> yeah. on tw- on Twitter, like in public too, like in private. Sure, yeah, we'll 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 hit each other up and be like, everyone else is an idiot and we're the smart one. But also, <laughs> like on Twitter, we actively disagree. <laughs> so, yeah, now you've got now you've given ammo to yeah. five five people. <laughs> on Twitter. True, like, I knew it. 
<laughs> I know those people just off the They'll never forget this clip. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's the opposite. I legitimately think that we all think we're the dumbest person in the room, and most of our techs are like, hey, guys, what do you think about this? What if we what if we did resign to Marcus Cousins? And then 10 other people are like, you idiot, shut up. And and, and it goes from there. Um, and to your point, uh, Brian, uh, Jerry has called me an idiot multiple times on, <laughs> on, on both uh, on both the podcast and in our private phone conversation. Now he might include himself in that group every now and again as well, but don't don't think Jerry doesn't think the same thing too. <laughs> Very good point. Anyone not listening to that, which who knows why that would be the case? You do great work with Jerry and Tony at the Kings Herald show. There, will uh, shout out to you for. The great content that comes out of there weekly, right? Uh, bi-weekly. Bi-weekly. I'm hoping to get it a little bit more frequent, but, but J- Jerry's got a life to live now that he's retired, and so I can't yeah. wrangle him for more than an hour and a half a week. Understandable. Understandable. And, uh, yeah, there's plenty of great work going on at the King's Herald. Definitely check out the Patreon. Subscribe to local independent King's coverage to support there. Um, any closing thoughts here, guys? I do like to – just to reiterate at the end of all these that I do think the Kings are actually in a favorable present position as a franchise moving forward. I don't think there are that many moves off from being a six seed for a long time, um, which isn't as horrible as I sometimes make it sound because you can make a few mm-hmm. a, a big splash and, and take a jump up. Um, but I do think they're in an okay spot still going forward, even though I know it kind of sounds like we're down throughout this whole thing. We got any final thoughts, Will? Um, I'm kind of in a similar position. I'm more horrified by the fact that we're like at a six, seven, eight for for the foreseeable future. Um, but but uh, long term, no, the Kings aren't the worst team in the league. They might be. They might have the worst ownership in the league right now. But they're they're not in a bad spot. And as much as I rail on the Kings, yes, uh, the rumors are true. I can still root for them and still think that they're not that great. And um, um, just shout out to everybody who uh who puts up with us whining all the time, uh, in- including me, including everybody else, uh, in- um, because uh, because it's a long season for, for any franchise. And the fact that it's uh, been 14 years for the Kings, everybody that's left here um, uh, has in some way or another cannibalized another Twitter account or, or a Kings Herald user or, or someone else online at one point or another. And I appreciate every single one of you, even the haters. You guys uh, – you guys are, are, are wonderful, and you make me a better person every single day. And uh, thank you for this, uh, Oscar, and uh, everybody have a good night. <laughs> Take you later. It's a perfect closing. Um, De'Aaron Fox exists. Tyrese Halliburton exists. They're both wearing Sacramento Kings uniforms. That's all I need to know, that a smart general manager and presumably a smart head coach next year can take this team to a meaningful place moving forward. So even if I'm ranting and raving and struggling to stay in my season of Zen, um, just knowing that the Kings have their backcourt of the future locked up is all the proof I need to still be optimistic. They just need to be gold Kings uniforms. I don't know if this is public, Will, but I'm right there with you on this one. Yes, Brandon, yes. Right there with you. I don't know if there's anyone else on on board with us. Brian is close. Brian is very close. Okay. (laughs) We're slowly pulling people, Brandon. I appreciate you being forward thinking. You you just have to do it right because you can do it wrong. There is a very wrong way to do it. 
Yeah. We've, we've seen that. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but there are some very, very good ways to do there it. Right? Is. There is. Will, when yeah. uh, Cade Cunningham goes to the Raptors next year, I'm going to buy you one of those golden oh black God. Cade oh, Cunningham oh. jerseys. Oh, I promise. So good. I, I will appreciate that. Also, Brian, anytime you feel like talking crap about those gold jerseys, keep thinking about those FSU uniforms, baby. You know how good they look. <laughs> I know you know how good they look. You just keep going. I'm, I'm slowly turning this around. Every year that April 1st comes around and they do not do, we're doing the gold jerseys on April 1st, so happy fool. Like, like, no, no. Every year that they don't do that is another year. My brain's like, they're going to do it. <laughs> they're going to do it. Because it's the easiest joke in the world that would get everybody pissed off. And then everyone would realize what day it is. And so every year that they don't do it, I'm looking at Ryan Briss, who uh, who does all the uh, the uniforms for the Kings, and it's like, I know what's coming, buddy. I know, you, I know you've denied it to me publicly and privately, but it's coming. It'll happen. It'll happen. It's, yeah. Gold jerseys on three. One, two, three. Gold jerseys. There you go. Yeah, Will Grant's podcast if we don't talk about gold jerseys. It's true. I think we checked all the boxes. We got a Mikhail Bridges. We got a Tyrese Vaxi. We Wait, had a Robert Woodard. A Poku. A Poku. You didn't talk about Romeo Langford. <laughs> oh, we didn't. He's back, by the way. Starting. Starting. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Now we've checked all the boxes. Thank you, Brian. I, I would have sat there in my bed tonight and not been able to sleep. Ugh. All right. Well, if you enjoy Romeo Langford or Mikhail Bridges or Tyrese Maxey or Robert Woodard or hopefully the Sacramento Kings, or if you despise the Sacramento Kings and but can't stop watching um, and consuming their content, definitely check out the great work from the Kings Herald. Uh, Will for joining us here. That is at Will of the People on Twitter. I'm sure everyone here is following him. And again, the host of the Kings Herald Show with Jerry Reynolds and Tony Zipteris as well. If you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse Podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days here.